0: So my wife says it all the time, it's beautiful. She she always says you can't have a testimony without a test. Kind of feels like the biggest responsibility I have in my world right now is trying to be an awesome parent.
1: Really, I believe forgiveness is more for us than it really is for the other person. I kind of firmly believe that everyone is capable of and deserving of empathy, but I do believe it is a muscle that you have to exercise. The full quote is, if you come to a great chasm
0: in life, jump, it's not that far
1: because I feel like you never really stop growing. And if you have stopped growing, like you're already dead in the water. You know, stagnation is synonymous to death.
0: You are now embarking on the imperfect experience. imperfect listeners it's your host Luke West back with another episode of the imperfect pod where we discuss masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposefully. on this episode my guest is Mike Cameron Mike Cameron is a passionate family man entrepreneur speaker and writer when his girlfriend was murdered by an ex-boyfriend in 2015 he took a keen interest to domestic violence prevention and specifically in redefining what it means to be a badass In this episode, we talk about his SOAR method for how men can slow down and take control of their life, a bit about domestic violence and why he cares and is so passionate about that subject, and we also discuss this idea of not all men and taking a really keen look into how, how how to have conversations around that in today's current environment. So I really hope you enjoy today's episode and let's get into it. Mike Cameron, I'm very excited to have you on the Imperfect pod today. I think your story is really fascinating from what I've read up about it. And before I kind of go into like a little bit more about you and, and asking you about who you are and why you're passionate about this topic, I always like to ask my guests, who is one person, dead or alive, that you'd like to get dinner with and uh, or have over for dinner and what would you cook for them?
1: You know, as a kid growing up, I was always a big fan of Thomas Edison. I loved the idea of inventing discovering exploring and getting curious so i think he would be a really cool guy to have a conversation with and uh, i would probably just do burgers because I'm a, I'm a i'm a hamburger kind of guy
0: homemade or costco or something
1: probably pre-done i've got a couple of you know m&ms has those uh, cheddar bacon ones and uh, so I, i'm a big fan of the pre-done ones i'm not that fancy
0: Okay. Okay. And then in regards to what you would talk about, what would it be? Would it be more on the science side and the curiosity side? What, what would your realm of conversation be about?
1: Uh, yeah, I would want to know. I mean, I'm, I'm not super science oriented, like the technical details, I'm not sure, you know, I'd really get excited about, but more the process, that creative process. How do you, what's the thought pattern? How do you come up with these ideas? Where do you go from the inception of an idea and, and how do you sort of progress that to having it become an invention. And at what point do you side, decide something's worth pursuing? Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I, I do remember reading an article about how that is one of your favorite things is to figure out why things become the way they are. It's not just about, you know, it's it's what it does, sure, but why does it do what it does? And I remember that being a, I'm, I'm someone who gets interested by science, but I'm ashamed to say that I don't really look into much, but like things like, oh, how does a toilet even work have always been things that I've like fascinated me and I'll randomly Google, but I don't know all the nitty gritty details about all those things.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely a guy that likes to understand the why behind the what. Yeah. So what I want to know is what
0: is your why and what you do in regards to masculinity and manhood and why that's such an important conversation for you. I think that's a perfect segue into that topic
1: yeah I mean, I don't even know where to start that the, there's just so much to unpack with that one, but we can we can start with sort of the the big event, so to speak, and and go from there. But I think the exploration probably started prior to that. But back in two thousand and fifteen, my uh, girlfriend Colleen and I, um actually, you know what i'm gonna I'm gonna take you back to sort of where it where it started with the the whole redefining badass thing. and and uh, my girlfriend, Colleen, used to tease me about how badass I was. I was a, a business owner, a rock climber, a yogi, an Ironman, uh, all these things. And, and she used to get a kick out of sort of teasing me about how badass I was. And, and she knew, you know, as a guy that's always been sort of more geek than jock, more nerd than cool kid, you know, it would, it would always make my heart swell with pride when she teased me about how much of a badass I was. And uh, Colleen and I took a road trip to Panticton, British Columbia, which is sort of a a vacation summer uh, place. And I was competing in an Ironman event there. And my 65-year-old aunt happens to live in Panticton. So we went, I competed in the race, and we ended up over at my aunt's place uh, for dinner that night. And to understand, my aunt Sharon, she's 65 years old, not overly fit, not overly active. Uh, In fact, you'd probably say she's a little bit overweight. And so we got to our house for dinner and we were kind of talking about the race and. So she starts telling us this story about how she was inspired by the fact that I was coming to do this big event. And she had decided earlier that year that she wanted to get a little bit more fit, wanted to get a little bit more active. So she signed up for the 5K fun run that was going the day before the big event. And she says, you know, I knew full well I was going to be dead last, but I just I wanted to get out there and I wanted to do something. So she says, come race day. I started way at the back of the pack because the last thing I wanted was, you know, 100 people passing me. So I just started at the very back of the pack because once again, I knew full well I was going to be dead last. She says, so the gun goes off and away we go. And I'm trugging along and we get about a kilometer away from the finish line. And she says, all of a sudden, this kid on a bike starts riding beside me. And of course, when she says kid, it was probably somebody in their mid twenties, maybe early thirties riding a bike beside her. And she says, I looked over at him and I said, you're here because I'm last, aren't you? And he says, yep, I'm afraid so. And he says, but you're doing great, you're doing great. And he starts cheering her in. And uh, she says, so they got up with about 100 meters of the finish line and he says to her, he says, okay, I'm gonna ride ahead and let them know that you're still out on course. And she looks up and she can see that they've already started tearing down the finish line. They've already started packing up the PA system. And he goes and rides ahead to let them know that she's still out on course. And to their credit, so they set everything back up to welcome her across the finish line. And in fact, they send a fellow by the name of Jeff Simons out to run across with her. And Jeff Simons is a professional triathlete. He's a local uh, Penticton boy. He won, I think, the 2017 Melbourne Ironman. So he's a real badass when it comes to triathlon. So anyway, she finishes telling us this story. She gets up to clear the table. And Colleen and I are left there alone at the dinner table. And Colleen just looks at me and she goes, you know what, Mike? She goes, now that's fucking badass. And we got talking about that. And the entire drive home, we talked about, you know, what does it really mean to be a badass? And especially in the context of masculinity. And we, we happened to be listening to Brene Brown being interviewed by Tim Ferriss on one of his podcasts. And at some point in the conversation, he said something to the effect of, what do you think of the overfeminization of, of boys in our school systems? And it kind of got my attention. And I went, huh. And she handled it brilliantly. She said, well, first of all, she goes, I don't think that masculine and feminine are are mutually exclusive. And she said, in fact, I believe that that perfect combination of tough and tender is the exact equation for badassery. Boom, there it was. Like when she said that, I just thought, oh, shit, this is exactly what we've been talking about. Having that combination of tough and tender. You know, my Aunt Sharon, having the courage to compete in a race that she knew full well she was going to finish dead last and and publicly dead last like you know i think of all the jocks i know in my life and and i don't know that there's very many of them that would actually have the courage to compete in an event where they knew they were going to be dead last i mean most of us would just opt out we wouldn't do it so it really takes some guts to to have the courage to do that. So the entire drive home, we talked about, you know, again, what does it really mean to be a badass in the context of of masculinity? And little did I know how big that conversation would, would become in my life, because just a short month after that race and that drive home, uh, Colleen went to bed at my place. It was October 1st, 2015. Uh, She woke up, she was a yoga instructor, so often taught yoga at at six o'clock Friday mornings, actually every Friday morning she taught. So she got up Friday morning, October 2nd at uh, about quarter after five, came around to my side of the bed, gave me a kiss, got dressed and I said, have fun at yoga and off she went and I rolled over, went back to sleep. I I got up, I don't know, about an hour later, came downstairs at about 6.30, made some breakfast. A little after seven, I shot her a text and I said, hey, how was yoga? and uh, no response. And not a big deal. She wasn't a huge talker, but uh, she's an incredible listener. And as a result, often got into some long, drawn out conversations with some of her students after after class. So I went on my morning, had my breakfast, hopped in the car. I had an appointment downtown at nine o'clock, still hadn't heard back from her. So I gave her a phone call, phone rang and rang and rang, and eventually went to voicemail. I got to my appointment, still nothing back from her. And now I'm starting to think that, you know, this is just this is feeling a little out of character. Had my meeting, finished up about an hour later. Got out, still not, still no text, still no phone call. So I tried her again as I headed back to my office, and and again, you know, now I'm starting to get a little bit concerned. So I shot her a text before I went into my eleven o'clock, and I said, "Hey, I said, let me know you're all right. I'm I'm starting to get a little bit worried about you because I haven't heard from you." And uh, fast forward to lunchtime, finished, finished my, 10, or my 11 o'clock meeting and we ended up going across the street for lunch and as we were walking into the restaurant, the hostess was about to seat us and my phone rang and I looked at it and it was a blocked number. And so I answered it and the voice on the other end of the line said, is this Mike Cameron? I said, yes. He said, this is Constable so-and-so and I, I don't even remember his name and my heart just sank. And I yelled into the phone, I said, is she okay? and he says where are you and so i screamed at the phone again i said is she okay and he said where are you we're at your house we're coming to you so now i knew something was wrong so i told him where i was i hung up the phone and i turned and i walked out of the restaurant and i don't think i even said two words to my guests and i stood at the curb and i waited for you know what seemed like an hour but it was probably 5 or 6 minutes my house isn't far from from where i was and this unmarked police car pulls up across the street, and I start walking across, and this badass, burly-looking, plainclothes cop gets out. He's got a badge hanging around his neck, got his gun on his hip, and he walks across and meets me in the middle of the road, and after identifying who I was, he said three words to me that would change my life forever. He looked me in the eye, and he simply said, Colleen is dead. Shot. And killed by an ex-boyfriend, who subsequently took his own life. So when you talk about my why, why do I believe it's important that we redefine what it means to be a badass? That's it. In a nutshell, that's it. You know, I uh, I've explored the impact that emotion has on human behavior for the last. Probably 25 years in the context of sales and leadership, and uh, recognize that, you know, we make decisions based on emotion. This was a dude that made a decision with very permanent consequences based on a very temporary emotion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So when you frame
0: that why, does it have more to do with? The fact that he was an ex-boyfriend is that like a, a strong component of the why, and understanding domestic violence, or is it just about men in general? I think that's a that's a key component that I'm
1: I'm really curious about. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think obviously initially the impetus was for for me to do something. So you know the the subtitle of my book is is when something's got to change, maybe it's you. And where that came from was, after she was murdered, I had so many people surround me, pat me on the back, and you know they'd drop their head and shake their head, and they'd say, "You know, something's got to change, Mike, something's got to change." And that became my mantra for a while. And I'd get up in the morning, I'd brush my teeth, I'd look in the mirror, and I'd say, "Something's got to change. Something's got to change." And I'd do that for days on end for weeks, and then, one day I got up and I looked in that mirror and I, and I added those three words that really shifted everything for me. I said, something's got to change. Maybe it's you, dude. Maybe it's you. And, and so I started looking at, you know, how can I best show up in this world? How can I make an impact? How can I, A, prevent this from, from happening to other people? So yeah, absolutely in the, in the context of domestic violence. Uh, and, and I also had, you know, I had a lot of people that, you know, know I'm pretty big on championing causes. Like when, when I when I get behind something, I, I get behind it. Whether it's building a business, whether it's you know starting a nonprofit, I've, I've I've founded a couple of of different organizations. So you know, I had a lot of people that wanted me to go after the the justice system, which certainly let her down. There, there's no question. You know, she'd done all the right things, filed the right paperwork, had the right restraining orders. of that kind of stuff in place. And and certainly the justice system let her down. But when I looked at that, I thought, you know, we're addressing the symptom, not the root cause. That's really, it's like putting a bandaid on a ruptured jugular. It's not going to do anything long term. So, and, And don't get me wrong. I mean, the justice system certainly needs some reform. I just felt like I'm not the guy to do that. I'm all about upstream solutions. As a business guy, you know, you, you can address, you know, employee apathy by disciplining the individual employee or, you know, you can look at your culture. Maybe maybe it's a, a bigger thing. So I'm always one that likes to look at the bigger root cause. And as I started diving into that in the context of domestic violence, I started to realize that what I believe the root cause is, is that emotional disconnection in men and You know, not only is that a problem when it comes to domestic violence, but if we look at suicide rates among men, if we look at depression, loneliness, our lack of friendships, like all of these things are very interconnected with the inability for us to connect with ourselves emotionally. I mean, if we can't connect with ourselves emotionally, how are we going to connect to anybody else? So to answer your question, and I, I think this answers your question, and you bring me back around if it doesn't, but yeah, I mean, I think it, it definitely started in the, how the fuck do I deal with this so that this doesn't happen to somebody else? Because, you know, part of it for sure is like, you know, I'm, I'm an upper middle-class white dude in Sherwood Park, like this kind of shit doesn't happen to me, but it did. So absolutely, it started at that point. But the more I dove into it, the more I realized that what I believe the solution to be for that is so much bigger. And, and again, when I when I look at this even from a business context, like I will hire EQ over IQ any day of the week, and you know, in particular from from a sales environment. You know, having the ability to have empathy for your customer, understand where they're at, where they're coming from, being able to make that emotional connection with them so that they, you build trust, they trust you. Then, you know, I don't care what you're selling, whatever product or service you're selling, we all ultimately sell the same thing. We're selling trust. And and so again, I've talked about this. I've preached this. I've taught this from a sales and leadership standpoint for 20 years. And the solution that I use there is also the solution that comes into play here. It's just a little bit different context and maybe it forces us to go a little bit deeper.
0: Yeah. And I think that answers my question really well. And because I think we sometimes see domestic violence as kind of one off situations, not really fitting into a larger culture, which is really why I wanted to ask that. And further into this podcast, we'll get into the not all men conversation, which I'm really excited about. But before we get there, I really wanted to kind of hone in on that motto that you have which was there's two that I really think stood out to me one of which is feel more but also feel more often I think that's one that's really powerful but then also something's got to change maybe it's you I think that really tackles the internal accountability that we all have to take in changing our behaviors and that's why when I look at toxic masculinity I don't really like the term because I think it's kind of I I don't like generalizations that label behavior as toxic without kind of addressing the need for some of those behaviors as well. And I'm not talking about, you know, I think when it comes to leadership or dominance, that is typically a a male characteristic that you see, you know, the masculine energy and the feminine, and we definitely need to acknowledge more of our feminine energies. To me, I'm not a dominating person by way of life. My dad's not that dominating. I'm not that dominating. So that's not always, that's not been the way that I tackle things. So I think to label certain behaviors within men as toxic is kind of counterintuitive in some ways. We should be addressing them, but to label them as toxic can, can ultimately push some people to seeing traditional masculinity as bad when I don't think it's all bad. But I, I do think there is a lot more internal accountability that we all have to take, which is you know, maybe my behavior is wrong, but it's not subject to you to tell me what's wrong or what's right. It's subject to myself and I have to take that approach within myself to believe it's wrong or right and to then go out and change.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and, and I agree with you. I don't think masculinity in and of itself is toxic, but I absolutely believe that there are a lot of stereotypical masculine traits that are potentially toxic. And that's a problem. So the guys that fucking bitch and moan and scream and don't want to have the conversation about toxic masculinity. And again, I'm with you. I don't love the, I don't love the term because I think it's mistaken a lot. Um, I think it's misrepresented. But I would suggest most of what I see with people railing against toxic masculinity is what I would call fragile masculinity. And that's guys that don't have the fucking balls, the courage to actually look at, let's have a real look at some of these things that are actually maybe fucking hurting you, dude. Like, and and that's, as you can tell, I get right fired up because it just drives me nuts because we just just as you know you talk about the the perils of painting everything with one brush, you know I think the the rebuttal to that is and what we have to be careful with is we don't paint it with the opposite brush you know and that and that's where and again we'll we'll get to the not all men thing but that's that's just the exact opposite and I think that's equally problematic
0: yeah and I totally agree that you know I, I like the the terminology unhealthy masculinity a lot more and i You know, I remember, I always think back to the Gillette ad that got uh, really popular for calling out that men can be better. And all it said was men could be better. It didn't say men are trash. It didn't say men are any, and I, I didn't, I never understood the amount of rage behind that sentiment that men can be better, which is almost, I feel like it's kind of in line with what you're saying is maybe it's us that has to change. We can be better. And that's when I realized that there's a lot of fragile masculinity there. I, I was in class, I was still in university and we talked about that in one of my marketing classes. And there was two guys who were pretty smart. Like every week they were talking about it. They would bring up political things, very intelligent people. But then they talked about how they were, they thought that was a bad commercial. And I thought, I'm like, this is one of the best commercials I've seen in a long time that actually had a message that, you know, women are always told to be better In like a very much performative way not even just like a spiritual way and here we have a uh, a a ad saying men can do better spiritually it has nothing to do with the product that they're selling like we can fix our spirits to do better and i thought that was genius it didn't take really a stand in a lot of ways and that's when i realized that man there's so much fragility in masculinity
1: which is what you just alluded to yeah. And it just, it boggles my mind. Even, you know, guys like Joe Rogan condemning it, like who the fuck green lit that one? Like, are you kidding me, dude? All they said is don't be a douchebag. Like, I mean, that that's essentially what the ad was saying. So instead of saying, yes, let's not be a douchebag and let's stomp on the, on the, on those in our gender that are douchebags, we turn around and get all bent out of shape because we're not all douchebags. Like, Okay, that's that's great. But man, like yeah, it just it, it it boggles my mind the amount of energy spent pushing back on that message. If we had even one tenth of the energy spent to solve some of these problems versus pushing back and and trying to, you know, say the problem doesn't exist, we'd we'd solve it.
0: Yeah. And one thing I really want to go in with you on was. You know, in some of your videos on your website, you talk about how do you understand, or you talk about understanding and analyzing your emotions. I think a lot of young men feel lost in how to do that. So how do young men, and just men in general, understand and analyze their emotions? Is there a tangible way that you do it that you can explain or share with my audience? I'm really curious about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Did we talk about the SOAR framework? We didn't. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So I wasn't sure if you were giving me a softball here and setting me up. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, this is, this is great. So one of the things, I mean, I'll come back around to the, the how to, but I mean, to your point. So like I said, when, when I first started diving into this and I looked at this well before Colleen was killed, um, I wrote a piece called men, it's time to woman up probably four years before Colleen was killed and just talked about the perils of men not being able to express their emotion. Again, my research, when we talk about the why behind the what, looked at, you know, in fact, we we make decisions based on emotion. As much as we like to think we're logical creatures, the science would suggest that, in fact, we do make decisions based on emotion. And if we don't understand the underlying emotions that drive those decisions we make, we have zero chance of living a purposeful and fully awakened existence. So first off, we need to be intentional about that because society doesn't generally allow us to, Does it certainly doesn't promote uh, us exploring and feeling, feeling. So it's really about being intentional. So what I did almost two years ago now was I created an organization called Connected Men. And it was really about creating a safe space for guys to literally practice feeling. I mean, I think you and I would agree that if you want to get physically fit, if you want to get bigger biceps, you know, you go to the gym and you lift weights a couple of times a week. You're intentional about that. Yet when it comes to our emotional fitness, what do we do? And the answer for most of us is jack shit. We don't do anything. So first and foremost, it's about being intentional. Secondly, the framework that I use is I use the acronym SOAR. S-O-A-R, slow down, open up, accept, and reconnect with our emotional selves. So slow down, just taking that pause, taking a breath. And that's hard for a lot of us, especially you know in this world where we're all about perform, 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 achieve, achieve, achieve. We feel like we need to be going 100 miles an hour. And, and I've been that way for a very long time. So creating the space to intentionally slow down, just take a pause, take a breath. You know, it could be as simple as just taking a breath. It could be a more dedicated practice like yoga or meditation. But if you're not there, you're not there. And, you know, for some, for some of us, it's, it's, that's way too out there. But even just taking a breath. Because when you slow down, you start to notice what's going on. So that's the next part. Oh, open up. And open up is twofold. One, once you've slowed down, just open up to whatever's there. Be open, be curious. What's coming up for me? What am I feeling? And for guys, maybe we start with the physical. Because we're pretty good at being in tune with our our physical sensations. You know, i got a tightness in my chest. I've got a tight jaw. Maybe I've got a kink in my neck. Just be open to exploring what's there. And from there, those are what they call somatic markers sometimes. So they'll, they'll be connected to a feeling, an emotion. So maybe that tightness in my chest is connected to some anxiety. So when I open up and I can start to notice that, and then the second part of open up is maybe sharing that. Luke, I got a tightness in my chest right now. I'm feeling a little anxious. I really want this podcast interview to go well, and and I'm kind of nervous. And when we can open up first to ourselves, we can start to recognize, oh, okay, that's anxiety. Totally understandable. And then when I share it with you, it just, okay, wow. Okay, that starts to dissipate a little bit. All right. And the A, accept. You know, rather than beating the shit out of myself for feeling anxious, it's just Luke. Like I'm just talking to him over over Zoom and Zencaster. It's, it's not a big deal why am I feeling anxious? And then, you know, you start feeling anxious about feeling anxious and you beat yourself up about, you know, you feel crappy about feeling crappy about feeling crappy about feeling crappy. crappy, And it just becomes this big spiral. So just practicing accepting whatever's there. And when we slow down, open up, accept what's there, then we can really reconnect with that deeper part of ourself. Reconnect with that emotional self. Reconnect with our purpose. Reconnect with our being. Reconnect with our message. However you want to frame that. So that SOAR framework is incredibly powerful for me. And I carry carry that with me everywhere. When something's coming up and I'm just, I just slow down. Take a breath. What's going on? okay, I'm fucking annoyed. All right. All right, you're annoyed. That's all right. And then I can just sit with that a little bit. And I start to recognize that. And now I can start to employ that logic and say, okay, I'm annoyed. Does that mean I want to punch Luke in the throat? Maybe I want to. Once I've slowed down and I've thought about that, maybe that's not a great thing just because he likes the Boston Bruins and I like the Montreal Canadiens. Don't even joke about that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you said said you were a hockey guy, so
0: I thought I'd I'd see if I could hit a hot button. I hate Boston. You know, I'm from Toronto, so uh, we
1: don't talk about (laughs) that. Oh, so you wish you had a hockey team?
0: Correct. Yes. That. See, I'll take that roast. Any roast about my team is good, but about Boston Bruins and and loving them, I'll never love Boston Bruins. That's for sure. But I'm I'm gonna have to put something in the intro that when as soon as we talk about SOAR to everyone, listen up and actually do the practice live because the way you spoke about it and did it, it felt very real and it felt like I was going through a headspace
1: basically. Well, and that, and that's the thing. So so that's what we do with our with our connected men. Meetings. So we literally get together once a week and we practice exactly this. And we start with a five to 10 minute meditation. And it's just me doing exactly what I did there. All right, guys, let's check in. Let's just slow down, take a breath, get settled into this space, start to notice what's going on physically. You know, right now I've got my elbow leaning on my knee. I can feel that connection. I can feel my bum on the chair. And just start to become hyper aware of those physical sensations. And then from there, you can move it into the heart and get out of your head and into the heart and just start to notice what's going on. And then usually we'll have a theme, you know, we'll have something to talk about. And, and, you know, maybe that's, you know, back in the day, we might have talked about the Gillette ad. What do you guys feel about that? And it's not so much what do you think about that? What do you feel about that? So it's about getting out of the head. And into the heart. So what do you feel? Like, what is, what is it that you feel that makes you have this visceral reaction to essentially somebody just telling you, let's be a good dude. But maybe you had this fucking visceral reaction that says, fuck you. Don't you dare tell me how to be. Okay. What's that feeling? What is that? Like, let's explore that. That's like i don't want to have the the intellectual conversation about you know these guys have no right to x y and z or or i think that this now what do you feel i feel rage like i've a, a fury you know whatever that is whatever is coming up cuz you've seen it right so what is that feeling and then we can start to sit with that and we can start to explore that and say okay where does that come from cuz to me that that doesn't make any Logical sense. But for you, you, that's what you're feeling. And I'm not saying you, Luke, but just, you know, for somebody that's feeling that way, okay, that's how they feel. I, who am I to take that away from them? That's how they feel. All right. So where does that come from? W- maybe we can explore that. We can dive deeper. And then when we can really sit with whatever those feelings are, because as guys, typically one of two things happens either we look for a way to fix it. Or we look for a way to avoid it. And neither of those is very useful because, you know, a fix usually isn't really a fix, it's just an avoidance technique. And really, the fix is often just being able to sit with it and let it simmer and experience it. And, and that's the really cool thing. And I think what you'll find, I don't think, I know because I see this time and time again what you'll find is there's often something underlying. So if we talk about that rage, that anger, that fury, oftentimes anger is simply sadness masked. And when you let that sit and simmer and stew and you can fucking boil for a few minutes, and then you start to think, hmm, what is that? You know, my dad used to give me shit all the time because I wasn't man enough, or I wasn't this, or I wasn't, you know, whatever. And that made me really sad. That made me feel like I was a disappointment. It made me, and again, whatever the case may be, maybe there's not anything that deep, but oftentimes there is. But the problem we often run into is we never find that because we never sit still long enough to explore it. and you know, if you want to come at me and tell me that Gillette ad was garbage after you've done that, I'm happy to do that. But sit with that anger for a little while. Sit with that rage. Sit with that fury. Explore it. Like Legitimately explore it. I I love what you said there
0: with anger is sadness masked. I had to write it down because when I think about whenever I get angry, it's usually out of a point of sadness a point of flaw on myself or a just bad calculation of my time like if I think about road rage or whatever normally it's oh I'm mad this person in front of me is going slow but really I'm I'm upset with myself because I didn't leave at the appropriate time to get me where I needed to go at the correct time like that is I'm not angry at the person in front of me for being slow although sometimes there is It can be as simple as that. But normally, if I try to work my way back into that anger, it's, okay, I left late. I didn't set myself up for success to get where I needed to go. And now here we are. I'm in a rush. I'm in a panic. But it's my fault. It's not this person in front of me cost me 30 seconds. It's if I left 30 seconds earlier, I would have been in front of them anyways. And so you just have to take that accountability as what could I have changed about myself to do better is kind of how I thought about that.
1: So, so there's two things there. So you touched on the, when something's got to change, maybe it's you. It's that taking accountability no matter what. And, and that's sometimes difficult to do because it's not my fault this guy's driving like a dick, but finding a way to take some responsibility for that. And the second thing, and I use road rage as an example all the time because it happens to every single one of us. So use that as your opportunity to practice. So, you know, you said, you asked about how do we do these things? Well, the the reality is when your girlfriend gets murdered, isn't the time to first learn how to deal with your emotions. When your girlfriend breaks up with you, when you lose your job, when something horrible happens, that's not the time to start practicing how to deal with this shit. You need to practice in the calm for the coming of the storm, because the storm is coming. At some point in your life, it's going to fucking suck. Like something is going to happen. So if you can take little micro annoyances like road rage, somebody cutting you off in traffic, and flip that around to, man, this dude's annoying me, to, oh, sweet. This guy just gave me an opportunity to practice remaining calm, give me an opportunity to practice sore. So I'm just going to take a breath. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to open up. I'm fucking mad. I'm going to accept that I'm mad. And then I can reconnect with, okay, why am I mad? Maybe I'm mad because I didn't leave enough time. As you said, right? So again, it's all these little micro things, and I find myself—it's just such a cool way to do it. So road rage is a great one. Another one for me is the grocery store, or or any retail store where you've got or or, or I travel a lot as a professional speaker. So this this one this one lights me up always. I, I I'm in airports an awful lot or was pre-COVID. And so, you know, you get somebody going through the security line and they haven't got every, you know, for me, I've done this a hundred times. So I've got everything organized. My toiletries are are ready to go. I've got my little bag out. It's right at the top. I'm doing like, boom, 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 boom. I know exactly what I'm doing. Well, you got the somebody in front of you that's like, Oh, what do you mean? I can't bring lit. What? I can't bring this bottle of wine through here. And oh, okay, well, hang on. And, you know, they take 10 minutes to unpack their thing. And then, but wait, well, I, what? Why? I don't know. Right. So that kind of thing, that, that's one of my pet peeves. So that's a big opportunity for me to practice. All right, Mike, just take a breath. Slow down. Open up, acknowledge what you're feeling. And the reality of it is, You know, you're still going to catch your flight. And if you're not, well, that's your problem because you should have been here earlier anyways, as you said. So it's just, it's finding those moments to practice is so critical.
0: Yeah. And I I love that. I think, you know, sometimes I talk to men who don't always, especially young men who listen to the podcast and, and hear what's going on, but they're like, what's the tangible takeaway of how to do that? And that's the component that I feel like I really wanted to talk to you about, and you really provided that, because even for myself, you know, if I look back at my reflections, I, I realize that I do that quite a bit. That's, that is how I tend to approach it, but I've never really thought about it in such a tangible way as to that's the process that I go through. And even right now, you know I've, I've reflected a lot on the pa- in the past month that COVID has taught me that I'm not as self self-aware, self-aware as I thought I was. I'm not nearly as good. At a lot of things that I thought I was in terms of communication or or just kind of, I guess, common decency when it comes to my own self-awareness. And that's been something I've had to acknowledge and reflect on. And how can I get better? And, you know, even with talking to all these men that I've been very, very blessed to talk to, I still struggle on the implementation and practices of it in myself and sometimes i'll think about you know luke like what are you doing you have a podcast that's all about these things and here you are not performing the wisdom that men are giving you and yet you're providing it to other other people and i ha- then i feel guilty about that but i have to accept it and then reflect on it and then how can i do better and so it's it's been a very big i guess presence in my life recently is is how i can open up better which i've never really i've never really felt i guess the the pressures to open up but it's more on the accepting and and reflecting and reconnecting part that I really struggle with. It's not the s and O, it's the a and the R that I have to get really better at,
1: yeah, well, and I mean, yeah, a couple of things to unpack there. So f- first off, self-awareness isn't a destination. It's a journey. So you will always be able to be more self-aware always every single day. And the beauty of, you know you sort of touched on the, I can't remember how you phrased it, but that you haven't really had the need to to dive into this, so to speak. But the beauty is for those that are listening and thinking, you know, what, what, it, what, what's in it for me, right? Everybody's favorite radio station, WIFM. What's in it for me? What's in it for you is that when you can start to slow down, open up, accept and reconnect, life just gets so much fucking richer. Like it's incredible when guys to come together with intention and I'm not talking about just having a beer with the boys watching hockey but in our men's group like when guys come together with intention and we get to drop the mask and there's no judgment and we just hold space for each other the connection is amazing and when I can do that for myself it's the difference between living in black and white and living in technicolor in like 4K high def full color. You know, I went to a concert a while back and it was just a local concert a, a couple of local musicians, it's a husband and husband and wife team, and part of their show is they've they surround it with a bit of a message. He was sexually abused as a child, so a lot of the shows they do they do as fundraisers and he's got a bit of a story that he shares with with his music and I wanted to support they were coming to a local theater so I took there was three, three couples that went, so six of us total that went. And that night, like just being able to fully immerse myself and become present in the moment, not thinking about where I had to be later, not thinking about what happened yesterday, and just fully immersing in that experience to the point that I was moved to tears by that performance. Like it was just, and I get goosebumps describing it because it was just so powerful. And Alexander's story was just so powerful and their music was so beautiful. But the richness of experience at that concert, like three years ago, five years ago, I would not have been able to enjoy that concert the way that I did. And you know, that's just one example. I mean, everything becomes so much more vibrant and alive. My relationship with my partner now is so much deeper, so much more fulfilling. Even having these conversations, you know, my objective now is with every conversation I have, I want it to be life changing, either for you or for me. And so when I show up with that as my intention, again, the, the experience, the depth of experience is just so incredible. So so if you're, you know, you, you you don't need a partner to be murdered, to have a why should I care? This can be as selfish as you need it to be as selfish as you want it to be, because the reality is, it's not selfish. We need to take care of ourselves first. You know, and this is I get hired to go talk to a lot of Men's groups and and uh, you know I talk I, I I'm part of uh, Women's Shelters Canada so I so I talk a lot about you know how how can men support how can men show up as allies and uh, what I often talk about is guys women don't need our help they just need us to take care of our own shit and if we do that then again life just gets so much better for us we can eradicate some of these problems with loneliness depression suicide all those kinds of things and then a lot of these other Problems just kind of go away as a result of.
0: hmm And I liked what you said there too, is that um, we have to focus a little bit on the selfishness. And I read an article that you wrote that was all about how humility could be holding you back. I believe was was kind of the overall message. But it's like, you know, don't be so humble that you're not going to do what you feel is right to you. Like there still has to be kind of this self-interest and motivation there to get what you want to get done. Don't be so caught up putting your own needs aside, that you're not able to succeed in the way that
1: you want to succeed. Yeah. You know what, I, man, you've done your homework. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, yeah, that, that one I think I titled, Is Humility Hurting You? And, and for me, that was a big struggle because one of, so I always talk about a values-based life. And really, part of what I do in my workshops is, you know, we'll dive deep into what are your values? Because I mean, everybody can rattle off what their values are but how many can actually define what those values mean in their own context, not dictionary definition. I'm talking about if you had to describe it to a five-year-old, what do those values mean? And, And for me, humility is one of those values that's fairly high up there. It's certainly top 10, probably not top three, but top 10, top five, probably. So that became problematic for me when I became a professional speaker. As a professional speaker. I mean, people hire you because of your quote unquote authority, right? So nobody else is going to necessarily, you know, toot my horn. So I have to do it. I have to do a lot of self promotion. And I really struggled with that for a very long time. And it was one of my business coaches, I don't know, six, seven years ago, maybe. He'd said we'd had this conversation and I was talking about how I really wanted to step up my game from a speaking standpoint, which meant I needed to put myself in front of more people, which meant I needed to beat my chest a little bit more than, than I was, was doing because I mean, and again, I still struggle saying this, but I've done some pretty fucking cool shit. So, so I need to be able to say that. And so he stopped me and he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, let me get this straight. He said, so what you're telling me is you're prepared to withhold the gifts that you've got to give to the world because you're afraid of being seen as egotistical? Is that it? And I paused and I thought, fuck, yeah, that's exactly it. And he said, what do you think is more selfish? And I thought, huh, interesting. So was my humility really humility or was it more a fear that, you know, if I did put myself out there, somebody might challenge me, somebody might take me up on on what I had to offer and I'd actually have to deliver it. So is it really humility or is it is it more fear? And I wrestle with that every day. I wrestle with that every day. And this is why I enjoy doing these podcasts because I get a chance to, to have these conversations and unpack these things and, you know, Part of this for me is, is continuing to unpack these things.
0: Mm -hmm. And I love that too, because a lot of my friends make fun of me because now that I have, I have three podcasts and just like, Luke, you just love the sound of your own voice. And I'm like, on all my podcasts, I'm actually the interviewer. I'm not the one getting interviewed. Like I really want to learn. I love learning. I want to project what these people have to offer. And I also, yes, want to learn more about the subject so I can share more in the future but i do feel like i have a gift of a gab as my mom says or like pulling information from people or getting a lot of value out of conversations with people i i find so many things fascinating things that i don't understand and so when i was thinking about doing starting my podcast it was very much a i was i was afraid for sure more than i was of being seen as egotistical because I'm like, this is something I just really want to do. Like I don't really care if people see me as egotistical. This is a passion of mine. This is a gift I think I have. But it was fear that people would see me that way that was holding me back in a lot a lot of the times in the development process. So I definitely relate to that and still something I I try to borderline because I growing up I was always raised, you know, be humble, but in my family I was never seen as humble because I am quite I'm, I'm like like I carry myself with a with a natural confidence let's say. So I've always had to like brain that in a bit. <laughs> but I thought that article was really good.
1: Oh, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, like I said that that's something I have definitely uh struggled with over the years and 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 it's quite funny. And and this is where I, it's great, you know, I talk about being able to see yourself through the eyes of someone that loves you because that really shifts everything. So when I have, you know, Michelle, my partner now, when she talks about, you know, when we're having these conversations and we're talking about some of the self-promotion stuff that I need to do, um, because I mean, that's my business. So if, if, I, if I can't self-promote, then I, I'm in trouble. And she's really good at just taking a step back and saying, okay, well, didn't you do X, Y, and Z? And didn't you do this? 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 And, do this? and yet- you put this dude on a pedestal and he hasn't done half those things. It's like, yeah, right. Okay. Right. And again, she just, it's also nice for me having somebody that will call me on my bullshit. If I am getting out of hand, if my ego is getting out of check, she's going to call me on that and say, okay, why are you doing that? Is that an ego thing? Why, why are you doing that? It's like, no, I'm not. It's not. And, and I've had this. it was it was interesting. I had uh, I did a talk at uh, one of the local universities, and i was I was really intimidated. i was I was speaking to uh, one hundred and fifty of the senior athletics, uh, the the leadership athletics leadership guys. And uh, so I, so I again, I told you, I was never much of a jock in high school. Um, so I was actually kind of intimidated. So, so I kind of went overboard with my intro talking about all the things that I'd done and it definitely didn't land the way I wanted. And I shouldn't say that because out of, I think I had 85 evaluations come back and I think two of them said, um... Be a little bit more humble, dude. Because because I did my intro was all about I've done this 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 and this because I was trying to set my credentials and and, and I, I was it was a little over the top, but it was one of those, you know what? Don't don't let your um, insecurities outweigh your abilities. And, and in that moment, I I, uh, I I probably did a little more than than I should have. So it was super interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a really interesting story too, and definitely something that I think would relate to a lot of people who are in that self-promotion. You know, I just kind of like that uh, that idea of have someone else write, if you want a good resume, have someone else write it, like one of your friends, because they are much better at putting... You know, I I have a lot of friends who are, who say I didn't do anything at this company and I'll say you did this 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 and they're like, "Oh yeah, I forgot about that." Or you kind of put it into fluffier language that they would never say about themselves because they're too they don't want to seem too egotistical. And then I'm like, "On a on a resume, you have to be egotistical because you have to stand out. Like that's just the way it works." And so there is definitely a benefit to understanding that confidence and lack of humility in yourself sometimes, or just, you know, I guess level-headed humility.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. So it was, I just, I'm launching a new workshop starting September 8th. And uh, I I did some new copy for it as well. And I had, so I had Michelle write it and it was exactly the same thing. And she just put it together really nicely. And uh, when I read it, I got goosebumps. And she says, and I said, oh, this is, this is beautiful. She goes, well, you realize like I took most of this from your book, right? (laughs) Like you actually wrote a lot of this already. I just fluffed it up a little bit. And again, added, added how I see you. So sort of through her eyes, which was awesome. Yeah. So I I
0: definitely want to fit like include the not all men conversation in this. So I think this has been a a great conversation. I think it's been a great mix of understanding that Brene Brown comment of understanding that feminine and masculine aren't mutually exclusive. We talked about some things throughout this conversation that seem much more feminine, you know, getting in touch with your feelings. We've reframed that into a masculine way because I I always hate how, you know, being in tune with your emotions is a feminine thing. It's not a naturally feminine thing. Nothing is really objectively feminine and masculine. So I think we really covered that. But you and I kind of had some some differing opinions about this not all men. And I've been seeing a lot of this on, you know, if you go on Twitter and, and the new emerging TikTok, you see all men are trash or kill all men or not all. Uh, and then you see men in response saying not all men. And to me, I think both of those, I, I don't like the the framework of all men are trash or kill all men or all those things. And I really want to hear your standpoint on it, because I think it it is a bit differing than than mine uh, and i really want to hear where you're coming from
1: yeah i mean again i won't disagree that i mean you're going to get extreme opinions on either side and and certainly the all men are trash i mean that's garbage it's just it's not true but anytime and and i see this a lot because again i talk about it in the context of the prevention of violence against women so i will always get people that will push back and what about violence against men it's okay You know what? If that's your cause, knock your boots off. If you want to have a golf tournament and a fundraiser for that, send me an invite. I will probably show up, but that's not my cause right now. Right now I'm talking about violence against women. So I often get a lot of that pushback. And then the, of course, the, the continuation of that is, yeah, well, it's not all men. No, it's not all men. I totally fucking get that. But until it's fucking no men, then stop with the not all men. Like, Again, if we put as much energy into making sure our brothers on either side of us weren't the douchebags, weren't the men that the the bad men, so to speak. I mean, I I don't love that language, you know, the good men versus the bad men. But there are more good men than there are bad. So if the good men would stop fucking with this, but it's not all men. If instead we focus that energy on pinging off the periphery that are the bad dudes then the problem would be solved. And again, I just, I feel like it comes back to this fragility thing. So if you've got sort of, you know, I think what some people would call the angry feminist that's kill all men, okay, dismiss them. That's not even a conversation worth having. Like, fuck, why waste your time? Like, that's ridiculous. That is, it's so far ridiculous that it's not even worth having the conversation. So don't get sucked into the conversation. And this is the problem that we get into when we're trying to make any point whether it's political whether it's this conversation because i get this a lot so you know we we had um what was it um uh aoc alexandria i can't remember her name the
0: has- yes yeah, yeah you yeah, know AOC. what i'm talking
1: about so 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 she she got called a fucking bitch by a colleague she stood up and gave a, a very eloquent uh rebuttal to that so One of the organizations I work with is is an organization called Gems for Gems, and it's about empowering women who have left abusive relationships. So they posted that. And then, of course, somebody comes on and starts trashing this AOC for her political views. And I have no idea about her political views. She She may be off the rails from a political standpoint, but that doesn't negate the fact that somebody she works with called her a fucking bitch. Like, this isn't, you know, in the context of a, we're having, drinking some beers somewhere. I mean, this is in a professional context. So that's not okay. But the problem is people start attacking her. Yeah, but she's all about child trafficking. Or or again, I don't know enough about her. But then but then the conversation becomes defending the, well, I didn't know about the child trafficking. So, but that's not even the conversation. Like, that shouldn't be the conversation. So when you've got somebody that's, that's yelling, kill all men, like, why even have? Just let it go. It's not even a conversation worth having. Because that's something
0: that I hear about quite a bit from from you know. I think one of the emerging conversations is that all men are trash, and they say that until, you know, they understand that it's not all men, but at the same time they use it because it's an extreme measure to get men to pay attention and. I don't know if I agree with that method or tool of framing the conversation. You know, I was having this this exact conversation with a friend the other day, and there was a few comparisons that were made. and to me, it's just not healthy when you're immediately putting the potential of good people and good men on the wrong side of the conversation. Now, I am personally not offended by the idea of that all men. Are trash or all men are bad, because I know that that's not true. I know that that's-
1: Okay, but but who are they? So let's start there because I I want to, let's get crystal clear. When you say they say all men are trash, who's they?
0: Typically, um, I, I would say it's more of the younger generation, like people aged 18 to 24 who are kind of buying into this language and narrative that men are in the patriarchy are- why there's so many problems in society. So typically, I would say it's young women that are pushing this narrative. I wouldn't say it's it's a mass opinion, but it is one that comes up when you live in social media bubbles. Those tweets go viral. Young men see them. They think, oh, and then they do an emotional reaction to that saying, not all men are this way. I just don't think it's helpful to generalize an entire gender or sex of people against and put them into the immediate trash because- Then you're saying, and and this comes back to the whole idea of, you know, maybe we do have to change. But you immediately put people on the defensive, which I don't think is a good way of handling the conversation. And so I replied to my friend, you know, I think that's when I brought up the whole Gillette ad. And I think, you know, men can do better is a much better slogan because it puts them in a position of growth rather than you're negative right now and you'll stay trash because all men are trash. But men can do better is a great theme for me in terms of. But it's not. I mean, did you see the fucking pushback on the Gillette ad? Yeah. That's a good point too. Yeah, we're so fragile. So, so that doesn't work either.
1: Yeah, but 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 I hear you. I, I hear you absolutely, and and I totally agree. It's not super effective to say all men are trash. I I get it. I get it. Here is the problem that we run into, and again, we see this in in so many different spectrums or different arenas. So so again, we've got the all men are trash on, on this side, and then we've got not all men on this side, and we meet anger with anger, and all we get is fucking explosion. When we meet anger, the all men are trash with empathy, we can gain understanding and say, okay, so why do you believe that? Because for, you know, it's it's only been the last two thirds of Canada's history that women have been able to vote. So that pisses me off. Okay. Fair enough. I get that. I understand that. And so when you start to meet that with empathy rather than anger, I mean, you know, what happens if you come at me and you're pissed because I did something to you and I immediately start getting defensive and they're like, fuck you, Luke. No, no, no. I didn't do that or I didn't mean that or whatever. Well, then you just get more pissed off and I get more pissed off. And pretty soon you and I aren't talking to each other anymore. Was if you come at me with anger and I say, whoa, 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 slow down, dude. Sorry, what's going on? All right, what's happening? So I did X and it made you feel Y. You know what? I totally get that. I totally understand that. And then how do you feel now? All of a sudden that anger, it starts to go. And I know I'm oversimplifying it because it's not that easy, but this is is by and large, the problem that we have today, we've got anger on both sides that meet and explodes. And we need to find a way to get to get past that.
0: Yeah. Like that is that is my my one issue. And this is what I explain to the women who preach this, this idea is that when you come at men with that level of extremism, you're either going to get men who are already understanding of your problems and they'll be on your side, but the ones who are on the edge or the ones who are already kind of down that path of toxic masculinity are just going to be pushed further towards the extreme. And so, what the length to me, the language needs to change and shift into because I, even though I understand what they're saying, I will immediately get defensive of other men because even though I'm not personally offended by it, I, do get offended by the idea of it when I have really good friends myself, and that's where the situation and
1: problem arises for me so So, do you ask the question, or do you dive deep into that empathy piece? okay, so so you're you're yelling that all men are trash. before before you go into that's not helpful, that's not useful. And you're right. But before you get there, do you have that conversation? Let me understand where you're coming from. Explain to me where you're coming from, and and then even asking questions. So one of the the things that I teach from a sales and persuasions standpoint is the power of questions. So rather than me telling you that's not effective, is there a question I can ask you? So let's say you've got a mutual friend that is a good guy by all accounts, and your the person you're having this discussion debate with says, you know, because all man X Y and Z. Oh, okay, well. Like, do you think Tommy's X, Y, and Z? Well, no, Tommy's a good guy. Okay, so who who else is X, Y, and Z, right? And then you can start asking these questions rather than, and we always say in sales, telling isn't selling. So it's about asking the questions to get them to start to change the way they think. And that's where you can start to have some persuasion versus this whole, like, you can't do that. Don't talk like that because that's not effective. And you're right. I'm not going to take away You know what you're saying isn't accurate. But this comes back to sometimes you have to choose between being right and being effective. And sometimes you can't have both. And that's a conversation I'll, I'll ultimately get to. And, and I had this conversation with a, a young woman who's college age for sure and we were talking about feminism and I said you know there's a reason why I sometimes won't call myself a feminist and she got all up and down and why not why wouldn't you because you support all the things because she knows I do and I said because I don't need to speak to the pro-feminist men they're already there the guys I need to talk to are the guys that are on the other side of the fence and as soon as I use that term feminist, they shut me down. They're not interested in hearing anything. And she's, yeah, but it's the right thing to do. And so I said to her, well, sometimes you can be right or you can be effective. For me, I would much rather be effective than right any day of the week. So if if I can remain open to having this conversation, and again, I will still come at it with an open mind. One of my favorite quotes is strong opinions loosely held. So I have strong opinions. I'll grab onto them hard, but I'll let go of them. I'll, I'll hold on to them loosely. If you've got a, a good line of questioning, a good thought pattern, something that can, you know, I'm I'm open, I'm curious, much like you. I mean, and I can hear it in your voice. I can hear it in your line of questioning. When we come at it with curiosity rather than judgment, that's when we start to see change. So, so, even the all men are trash, my challenge to you would be, where can you approach that with more curiosity than judgment? and I get that you want to come at it with judgment because it's not fair, it's not true, it's not accurate. it's none of these things, but where can you where can you explore that with a little more curiosity because that's when things will start to change
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and i I totally agree because that if I look back on the conversation that I had recently, it was very. Not really like unempathetic. It was just more defensive, I would guess, and and I know that she wasn't calling me out, but it, it like the way it was kind of happening was um, very much in that light of being dismissive, both towards like me my my feelings about it, but then I also kind of felt dismissive towards her feelings about it. And she brought up different moments that she's experienced and you know life experiences that she has based on being a woman that I can't relate to. And, you know, but at the same time, I feel it in my side when I hear men talk about how they are offended by that. I also have the conversation with them of, you know, they're not speaking directly to you. And I like, so I I walk both lines very carefully. I'm not kind of what you said, like, even though I'm a, I would, I would say like, I believe in in feminism in a lot of ways. I don't agree with some components of feminism, just like if I am conservative or liberal, I don't believe in every piece of component of that political party or Democrat or Republican, as I don't think that anyone should be 100% one way or the other. I think that's kind of a weird system in the first place. So I definitely, when when looking back on it, could have been more empathetic. and, And I think that is something that I try to live by every day in these conversations is I am here to have conversations with men about how we can be better. And sometimes that audience... You know, I might have the conversation with my friends who are girls and say or, or women, and and they'll say, you know this this doesn't seem like a podcast for us." And I'm like, I, I talk a lot about men and how we think on this podcast. So I think it's almost more for you in a lot of ways because this is insight into how you can navigate these conversations with men, what we're feeling. And this is just an idea of how we talk to each other because in in very respectful ways about these issues. And then you can kind of dig in on on with men and and these are little pieces and and cotton thread ideas of of how you can pull information out of them and get them to open up. So I, I definitely need to be more empathetic when I approach that conversation, but also I do call out men on the other side. And that's honestly one of the whole motivators behind the start behind the start of this podcast in the first place is I had that conversation. You know who uh, with with some young men who didn't see feminism as a as a purposeful goal, and I was just like I, I combated them on some of their ideas, and that's when I realized I have a positive influence on young men when I have these conversations because I don't get angry, I don't argue in really rude ways, and I I that's kind of where I saw my influence. But I really want I did want to talk about that with you because I think you do have that opposite, not opposite, but you have the more empathetic approach to not all men that is really. What I, what I want to talk about. And I think a lot of young men feel like I do about the conversation, which is why I'll say exactly how I'm feeling right now, because I think it will offer some truth to young men who are feeling the same way I am or are further down the line of, we hate this phrase, fuck anyone that says it. And I want to pull them back with the honesty of myself and with the wisdom of, of you.
1: Right. Yeah. And and again, I I think it it really is. It's just about approaching it more with curiosity than judgment And, and having the strength to not feel attacked, understanding, because clearly this doesn't come from something you did to an individual. If assuming you didn't do something to an individual, right? This comes from, you know, whatever societal pressures they're feeling, we as men have unique societal pressures on us that cause unique societal problems, which require some unique societal solutions. And and that's what I'm looking for. And, and it doesn't mean, you know, back to our beginning conversation around masculinity and, and toxic masculinity, it doesn't mean that, you know, I can't have a beer with the boys. It doesn't mean I can't scratch my nuts and burp and fart and do all those things. It doesn't mean that I can't lift heavy weights and I can't be strong and I can't be physical. It doesn't mean any of those things. Like fuck, I run hundred mile ultra marathons. I love to test my physical limits, but I also cry at concerts. You know. So you know, I, I was in a I was in a uh, online forum recently, and somebody had said something to the effect of, um, he, he he was warning others, oh, be careful. Some of these guys are so empathetic and nurturing that they're practically lactating. And I just thought, fuck, dude, really. Like really, since when is empathy and nurturing a bad characteristic? I don't care what your gender is. Why did that become? I mean, there's just so much wrong with that. First off, using using sort of a as a gendered slur. Like it just it boggles my mind. So you know, empathy doesn't equate to weakness, and I think that's. Where we get lost a lot of times, and and that's why that my TED talk was redefining badass. I think we rene- we need to redefine what it means to be strong in our society.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful. I have I actually have a another whole episode dedicated to the idea of of empathy for all of my listeners, you know, out there. Listen back to the episode. I think it's number thirty one. But we talk about how empathy is a muscle, and you have to really practice it. It's not something that everyone is great at. It's not something that comes naturally to a lot of people, even for myself, it's not natural to me, but I have to remember to practice it every day and build it up like I am, like it's fitness. And like you said earlier about emotional intelligence and, and going into yourself in actions, That that's a repetitive action you have to take to get better at because we need to work on that aspect of ourselves, our, our mental fitness. Totally. But this has been a great discussion, Mike. But- you know, one thing I always like to close off with my my podcast is allowing yourself two minutes or so to go over what you're doing career-wise, speaking-wise, book-wise, workshop-wise. I know you mentioned that in the podcast as well, just to do a little bit of self-promotion, you know, that, that humility and, and arrogance that uh, that we talked about earlier.
1: Nice, yeah. So professionally, I mean, again, I I, I speak professionally. Obviously, uh, with with uh, COVID, that that has kind of ground to a halt. So most of the stuff I'm doing now is is virtual. Uh, I built a business over the last 17 years, which I just sold in December of 2019 to really focus on this. But I've got uh, I've got a book. So if you want to support me, it's becoming a better man when something's got to change. Maybe it's you. Uh, available on Amazon. Uh, Mike Cameron.ca is my website. I've got uh, a four-week workshop series coming up. I'm limiting it to just 10 spots. It's called Lifestyle by Design, uh, where we're going to talk about a lot of this thing, identifying values, finding your purpose, and, and really diving into how to live Life by design, rather than by default, uh, and I also do private one-on-one coaching, more of a sort of executive level. So individuals that are that ha- have an inspired vision or an inspiring story, and really just want somebody to help them execute on that—that's that's that's really my jam. So uh, yeah, the the one-on-one coaching or the or the workshop stuff is is much more affordable uh, for sure.
0: Perfect. Well, Mike, thank you so much again for coming on, sharing your wisdom. I really enjoyed this conversation and uh, definitely look forward to staying connected, sharing this with my audience. And I think there's going to be a lot, a lot of value in this. That's a very tangible, starting from sore all the way to the conversation that that young men are having about all men, not all men, all men are trash, trying to navigate that whole conversation. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your depth of wisdom, your story, and um I just think there's going to be a lot of my listeners are going to be messaging me about this
1: one. Awesome. No, that was a lot of fun and and they're all welcome to reach out to me too. I love connecting with people. So I'm always happy to chat.
0: Thank you everyone so much for listening to this week's episode of The Imperfect Pod. If you would like to find out more about today's guest, you can find them on the internet at mikecamron.ca. He's got lots of articles about the bigger scheme of masculinity, domestic violence, how to be a better man, tuning in with our emotions. He also has podcasts and other media where you can see his TED Talk on redefining what it is to be a badass as well. As always, links in the descriptions below. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you press fo- the follow button, subscribe button, or left a review. If you would like to discuss today's episode, please feel me to message me on Instagram at The Imperfect Pod or connect with me on LinkedIn at Luke West to continue the conversation. Thanks, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.